Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Nacho Tuesday. Um, and today I, I have Colin here with EcVista. Um, and without further ado, uh, Colin, we'd love if you could introduce your company and tell us more about what you guys do over there. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Hi, I'm Colin. I'm a partner at EcVista. Um, so for EcVista, actually, we are a cap table equity management provider. So we have a platform that um, provides a, a software that helps people manage their equity. Um, and we also do company valuations. So we have kind of two main services that we provide. Um, and we've doing this, been doing this since 2018, so around five years strong now. And I've kind of been in there since, since the beginning, so. Nice. Uh, so how's the uh, growth been for you guys um, over the last few years? Pretty good, actually. Yeah, the first like, one and a half years was all like kind of product development and kind of just getting a feel for everything and kind of also working on the marketing as well. Um, but then in like 2020, that's kind of when our services really started rolling over and people started kind of signing up and also we started doing valuations as well. So it's just been kind of steady growth like year and year. Nice. Uh, so what got you to where you're at in your career uh, running uh, running at Vista over there? Um, tell us more about your p career path. Yeah, so it's kind of been like very kind of all over the place. Like actually I'm from Minnesota. Um, so I went, uh, yeah, kind of lived my whole life in Minnesota. I actually went to the University of Minnesota as well um, for biology. But then I kind of realized that biology wasn't really my thing. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too late, <laughs> but I just couldn't really see myself kind of in the lab all the time or, you know, doing a med medical thing. So, um, and I was always interested to come to, to Asia. So actually, and then I moved over to Asia. Um, I actually lived in Korea for a couple of years. And then I made my way over to Hong Kong. And wow. then Hong Kong is kind of like a finance city. So I decided to actually study um, business over here. So I studied accounting and finance at the university here in Hong Kong. Um, and then after I graduated, I looked for a job here. Um, and eventually I kind of landed in a, a local CPA firm with my current boss actually. Um, and then, so I was doing like audit work for a while and then he decided to start um, at Krista back in 2018. So I kind of helped him with that. And we kind of just been slowly growing it ever since. That's uh, as I say, that's a long way from Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot different from Minnesota too, over here. Yeah, I love Hong Kong. I've, uh, I used to go out there a lot at a company where we manufacture over in Shenzhen. So. Oh wow! Huh. Yeah. Every time I every time I'd go out to Shenzhen, I'd always stop by Hong Kong. So, uh, a lot of great memories there. Yeah, it's uh, like it's a really busy city. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I liken it to being uh, the New York of Asia. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I live in New York now, so. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Too about that, I guess. <laughs> Um, I guess, so what trends do you see for uh, company valuations in 2024? Yeah, so 2024 is quite interesting, actually. I mean, like to give a really brief back uh, kind of history of the, like, the valuation, I guess, market the last couple of years. Um, as you know, people may or may not know, in like 2021, it kind of hit its peak. So it was like kind of ramping up for the years before that in 2021, like the valuations were really, really high. We saw really, really high multiples. And then that's kind of done can come back down to earth like in 2022 and 2023 um and then it's kind of a little bit of a low point but i feel that next year um and kind of we've seen with like, some of the companies that we deal with that it will kind of come back up in 2024 i think the interest rates will go down naturally i think there's a lot of kind of dry powder right now in the vc market that they just they want to invest it but it's just not the right time to do it um and they're kind of just scouting right now so we believe that in the next kind of in 2024 that you know, it won't kind of explode, but I think that a lot more, there'll be a lot more money going in. And I think naturally the valuations will rise more, the multiples will rise. Um, and then kind of, you know, there'll be a lot more companies getting funding basically next year. 
Definitely. What, how do you properly uh, add evaluation to a company? Um, you don't just like throw a number against, uh, like throw a dart against the board, do you? <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like, it, it, it depend, depends also what type of evaluation we're doing. So, I mean, like our main evaluation that we're doing is a 49A evaluation. And for people who don't know, that's more on the compliance side for ESOP plans, for like employee stock option plans. So if you do have uh, an employee stock option pool, if you are um, issuing equity to your company, um, to like your, your staff, um, that you need to get a foreign NA evaluation done to kind of set the strike price at the lowest uh, end of the strike price. So in that case, I mean, we still do the traditional methods like a income approach, market approach and asset-based approach, but it's usually really conservative, usually like the last 12 months of um, um, you know revenue that you've done or a profit that you've done. Um, and then another type of valuation that's more forward looking. So as you know, like startups are growing, like they're maybe doubling or tripling every year. So a lot of the times, like, um, you know, we might also, if they're growing so much, we might also use the next 12 months of data, like what their forecast is. But we'll usually use like a, a discount cash flow, like what is their forecast in the next three to five years? Um, also with market multiples. So we'll look at like public companies, also M&A uh, transactions, and try to find like a suitable multiple for your sales. Um, so we use those two two main methods actually, um, and then for other companies which they've been um, like funded, like a lot of the Silicon Valley back companies, uh, the foreign NA will actually use the pre money that they have, but then use a specific model to kind of make it more on the, the foreign NA tax side. So, very nice. So, uh, where do you see software uh, evaluations? Um, you guys probably deal with a lot of software companies. I would assume. <laughs> Yeah, so software, it's it's really depends. I mean, like usually software evaluations, like the multiples are really high, but mm -hmm. it also depends on what type of um, kind of software it is. Like if it's biotech, med tech, if it's like security, gaming, um, even like crypto, or nowadays it's like AI, right? Um, yeah. You know, like For some that. of those, yeah, like those multiples can be really, really high. And also the forecasts are really, really high as well. So. Um, like, I think the trends is like, at least I know that a lot of VCs are kind of targeting AI companies. So in terms of like, when they do their forecasting, I think that you can hit that scale, you know, with AI, but a lot of the other companies, even their software, they can't scale that fast. So that, I mean, like, you know, in terms of the valuation, the forecast drives most of the value. Cause that's kind of, you know, what you expect your discount cash flow to be. Um, so it kind of depends on like what. What's your business model? What industry you're in? Even in, in different types of tech, and then like, well, how does that translate to your forecast? And then how either how the you know, the valuer sees it or how the investors see that for what is like your value of the company. Good point. I guess. Uh, <clears throat> what tips would you offer for uh, companies out there looking to prepare for fundraising, especially if uh, 2024 might be a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit easier time to raise money as opposed to some of the last few years. Yeah, so I mean, like, it's interesting because, like, with the foreign and A valuations that, that we do, we kind of see, like, the kind of the information on the funding round, like, three months after it happens. So we still see a lot of the data that, that's going on, but it's just kind of, like, after the event happens, basically. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, um, what we see a lot of the times of the companies that do get funding compared to the, our clients that, you know, are looking for funding or haven't gotten, or, like, their business model is not to kind of get funding every two or three years. It's kind of like the data room that they have is really well organized. So they have lots of details for their pitch deck. They have their financials. They have their historicals. They have, you know, management team. They have a summary, like snap. They have like all these documents is really well organized. 
Um, and when you read it, you can kind of, you know exactly when, when you look at it, like what you're looking at, it's not, you know, especially for the pitch deck, right? You know, yeah. even for us, like sometimes we're doing evaluation that we don't really understand what the company does or how they can like generate business, if it's, especially if it's like a pre-revenue company. Um, so, I mean, that's for us, it's like, you need to make sure that anybody looking at your pitch deck knows exactly what you're doing, you know, what is your business, what's the problem, and they can see the potential as well. Um, so that's kind of like a big thing. But I would say from, at least from our perspective for the valuation side is a lot of the companies, especially if they haven't gotten funding before, they have no experience with it, they'll try to shoot for a really, really high valuation. Yeah. Um, but if it's unrealistically high, I think, I mean, the, the whole point is that they don't want to give it too much equity when they do fundraise. Um, yeah. But if it's unrealistically high, then actually it hurts you more than it helps you because the investors will be like, that's too ridiculous. Yep. I mean, like we have some companies, like they may even be pre-revenue, but they're trying to shoot for like 50, $100 million, like pre-money. We're like, that's Jeez. like, we won't, you know, we won't, you know, we just do the calculations basically. We won't tell them like, we don't believe it. But you know, what we think is like, that's really, really high. I don't think an investor would accept that. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like you need to make it, you know, you know, you need to make a sacrifice. Like if you really want to get funding, you, you shouldn't put it, you know, that high. Um, and then um, the other kind of trend that we've seen is, especially these days, is a lot more like safe note um, financing rather than a funding round. Yeah. So I know like a funding round is like kind of sexier because you have like a you know a share price and it's it's a little bit different. Um, but I would say that for companies who are looking for funding, um, especially for like pre-seed companies, that the most common these days is like a safe. Uh, yeah. So they, they should, you know, kind of target this, that they really want to secure some money from kind of VCs or angel investors. Definitely. And for, um, <clears throat> and, and for anybody that doesn't know what a safe is, if there's anybody out there that doesn't actually know, <laughs> um, <clears throat> can you maybe uh, explain to the audience what a safe note is and uh, why it's so popular these days? Yeah, so a safe note, like safe, S-A-F-E, is simple agreement for future equity. Um, so it's basically, it's not really like a loan, but I guess it's the closest thing kind of. It's like a convertible note. I mean, but you wouldn't be a payback to the investors. Um, and that this amount of money will convert in the future uh, to equity. So the benefit of this is that you're not really setting a, a price or like a, a, a valuation on the company right now. Because for a lot of the companies, one, you, you don't really know how much they're valued. And even if you do, the startup will think different numbers compared to the investor. Yeah. Um, so they, I mean, you might have a, a cap on it, like a pre-money valuation cap, but you don't set the pre-money um, at the time of funding. And then once you have a price round later, usually, or a liquidity event, usually that's when the that amount of money will convert to stock. Yeah. So, um, and you know, whoever invests early in the company, they have really nice terms. So they, once they do convert with, you know, other investors, they might get a big discount on that. Mm -hmm. um, so you're getting a lot of money and you don't have to negotiate about, you know, about the pre-money because that's a really big <laughs> kind of point of contention, especially with the, the, the fundraising kind of uh, events. Yeah. Yeah. What else do uh, investors look for, I guess, when choosing to decide if they're going to invest into a company or not? Yeah, I would say that from the companies that we've seen, um, a lot of it, especially if it's like you know, pre-revenue, a big part of it is like the team, you yeah. know, and then how you communicate that, like how experienced your team is or how much, you know, expertise they have, or if they do have experience with other startups, either if they maybe even better if they've exited. But what we've seen is like, you can have a company where even the idea or the product isn't there. They might not even have an MVP, like minimum viable product. So they don't really have a working product. 
but the team is so strong and they've exited many companies before and investors will just throw money at them. So even, you know, for the companies that might not have that experience, at least you can maybe show in your pitch deck what experience you do have or what, how, you know, you can show more confidence that you know what you're doing or that you can work really hard to build the company. Um, and then I guess, depending on which industry you're in, um, kind of convincing the, the investor that you can scale um, that what you can, what you really put there that you can achieve. Um, and then, you know, I mean, especially like with AI, obviously it can scale really high, but yeah. um, some other companies, like how you can really scale that up. Um, yeah. So I think that'd be something that, you know, that we see at least. Yeah, and how do you really differentiate there in a, in a sea of other AI tools that are out there and coming out uh, day by day? Yeah, that's really hard. There's a lot of AI tools coming out these days. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that side, I don't really know, especially like if you're comparing a bunch of different AI companies. Um, but I think in that, I mean, for that respect, it would just basically be like how well you can pitch it, how well you can communicate that you're really different um, and that, you know, that you can basically scale or that people really pay for it, basically, you know, what you're selling. Yeah, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about this. Um, we, we felt like a lot of AI companies are kind of more of like a feature as opposed to like an actual business that you could actually mm -hmm. build around it. Um, obviously a lot of people are using open AI and other, you know, off the shelf tools and whatnot. Um, but yeah, a lot of them seem to be more features than, than actual businesses. Um, a feature that like, you know, maybe an incumbent, uh, business could just launch and, you know, kill this, uh, new startup, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you know, you kind of have to, yeah, I think we've seen that as well. It's a lot of, it's like, if you're big enough, you could actually kind of recreate that yourself if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, so it's like kind of, how do you make it big enough? uh kind of to, to for people to want to back basically definitely I, I guess what what causes most startups to fail in your opinion um yeah that's a really good question um i would say that i mean for a lot of the companies that we've seen like the differences between the ones that do well and the ones that don't and then end up kind of they don't have enough money to kind of continue to get going is that they might have a really good idea for the product but they didn't really find a good product market fit um, and that's kind of where they spend a lot of money on developing it and they have a really high kind of burn rate or how much money they're spending per month, but the market doesn't really accept what they're selling and they just can't get that revenue kind of growth going like that. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it, I mean, like we've seen companies where it's like really it's like, you know, med tech or biotech or, um, you know, some other type of tech company where it's. It could be a really good idea, but the market is maybe it's just not ready for it. And yeah. they haven't really slowly moved into that yet. Um, and then where the, and that's where that's where the funded companies. Mm -hmm. um, I think for the kind of the smaller ones or the, the other startups, it's like um, usually around year two or year three is when you can really see if it's going to kind of keep going or not. Yeah. Um, and for them, it's just like, I mean, for what we've seen is just persistence, how you can keep going. Um, and if you can really grind it out for like at least three, three, four years, if you can, then you can slowly get gains. You can kind of slowly grow, you know, either from like, you know, 50 K to hundred K in revenue and then just slowly build it up. Then you can kind of, you know, I think, I think for 2024, the kind of the shift has been rather than growth to profitability. <laughs> so like, how can you sustain a profitable business to keep going? Um, because a lot of a lot of the companies they just try to get growth and they just burned out basically because they just didn't have enough money for investors to keep backing them. Yeah, and do you think we'll get back into that you know that growth focus again? 
uh, where you know maybe profitability doesn't matter as much. Um, I'm definitely in the uh, prop- profitability bandwagon, <laughs> so mm. see that uh, kind of return as, return as a norm. But uh, do you think we'll kind of get back to this growth at all costs uh, trends that we've seen in prior years? I think compared to 2021, probably not. I mean, I mean, it, it, it depends on which industry. I think for AI, probably, I think the investors would be willing to pour money into a company that they think can scale that fast, yeah. right? And they just, you know, they're just waiting to kind of get the market. Um, but for a lot of the other companies, I think that the investors want to see some progress, um, especially, you know, in terms of profitability after a couple of years, right? Um, they, I don't think they can wait that long. Like we've seen some companies where they've had, you know, tens of millions of dollars in funding, but they just keep having down rounds. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of common, especially from, you know, if people kind of raise in 2021. Mm-hmm. But in that case, it's like you're just you invested already and you might want to, you don't want to lose your initial investment. So you keep investing more money or in, in other investors are coming in. Sunk cost. <laughs> exactly. Right. Or like, you know, they're getting a lot of, um, because it's the, 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 the um, share price keeps going down. So they're getting more equity compared to how much they invest in. Yeah. So I think it'll, I think it'll you know shift back to profitability as the focus um, rather than growth. It's good to see. Um, so I know you guys deal with uh, cap table management. We've discussed before, uh, but uh, what, I guess what problems do you see arise from improper cop, uh, cap table management? Um, what have you seen in the past and what, what kind of problems does that lead to for companies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of twofold. One is that they have a cap table, but they just don't really update it. Um, so in, in that case, like everything's really messy. I mean, like we've had companies where we they want, to, uh, they want us to onboard onto their system, onto our system um, and they just have everything like in PDFs. And not even or Excel, but they have like a bunch of different versions of it. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of sift through all the data to see what is the most correct version, and then put it on there. Um, and that's, I mean, for them, they they just nothing is updated. So all even all of the shareholders don't really know what they own, <clears throat> or the company doesn't really know, you know, who owns what basically. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other side is um, for filings. Like I guess a, a good equity management system, it can kind of tell you what filings you need to do. Mm-hmm. or what filings maybe that you didn't know about um, that you could file and it could give you an advantage in terms of maybe taxation wise. Yep. Like one example is um, there's a filing called 83B, yes. which is like early election for tax filings. Um, but a lot of our company, a lot of the founders, I mean, if they, if they are, you know, kind of really inside the kind of the startup ecosystem and they talk to a lot of other people, they know about it. Um, but a lot of them, especially for new founders, they don't know anything about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a way to basically prepay tax um, and kind of set the price in terms of the eyes of, eyes of the IRS, mm-hmm. um, you know, before your company grows. Um, yep. So I think with with a cap table system, you can know about all of these like filings that you might not know about. And it's kind of streamlined in the system. So you can kind of do it all there. You don't have to worry about it um, or you don't have to take, you know, hours to do it outside the system. So that's kind of like a, a nice benefit. It's like one is organization. Um, you know, and then the other side is like just doing lots of filings that would be too tedious to do otherwise. Yep. And the 83B is, uh, you know, really important because you don't want to get a tax bill for some projected value. Yep. <laughs> that it's not actually really worth. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's and in a- terms of for us, for the, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. In terms of us also for the 49A, like once we finish, we'll put the details inside. So then it will update the system and update the shareholders as well. Like what is the new um, fair market value? So it's also good for like a communication tool to tell you know your shareholders that you're really caring about the the, the equity side and 
they're updating it regularly so they they feel like they're you know that everything's kind of like really important in terms of the equity side i guess uh, what else should people know about uh what's what's next for uh ecvista over the next few years uh that you'd like to share with us yeah i mean like we're, we're growing quite quite well um you know we keep trying to add more features to the camp table system we want to um, add a, a big feature which kind of makes it more like real time so it's kind of you can input some data then we'll do some kind of checks on it but then it will kind of be logged onto the platform and you won't have to do it so manually through an analyst now obviously a lot of our clients they like to have the personal touch where they're you know you're talking with an analyst and they're doing it for you um yeah. but we kind of want to do it more in the middle so it's it's easier for them they don't have to wait so long and then it will kind of update um you know if you just change some of the inputs it might update every month or every quarter so we think that rather than doing it annually, if you're updating it every quarter, you kind of feel more that you, it's kind of a, a true uh, reflection of the value. So that's kind of a big thing that we're doing now. And then we we want to kind of just keep expanding the platform so we can add more features, more tax compliance, um, and then also kind of more on the valuation side as well. Um, I guess uh, anything you'd like uh, our customers at Nacho Nacho to know about your platform and why they should pick you guys over over the other platforms that they might have heard about there? Yeah, so I mean, like the cap table pot, um, kind of market is a lot smaller. It's kind of more a niche market compared to other um, like SaaS um, kind of markets. But I would say that kind of for at least compared to others that we, um, you know, for the system, it, it does pretty well. It kind of does all the main things that you would need in a system. And it's kind of streams on everything, so it's not. I mean, the interface and kind of the UI UX is is quite user friendly. Um, you don't have to. When you look at it, you kind of know exactly where to go, where to click on. You don't have to spend hours and hours trying to figure out how the system works, um, or look at different guides. Um, you know, read guides about how all that works. So that's kind of nice on the platform side. And then the kind of the touch that we do with our clients, in terms of valuation side, is that we really try to work with them to. Um, kind of get the high, highest quality for them. So then they feel like they're being taken care of and that we're, you know, doing the valuation the proper way. Um, you know, we, we handle quite a lot of valuations. We want to keep going that in the future, but we want to, you know, hire enough staff where our clients also feel like that they're being taken care of. So I know that with some of our other um, competitors that like they, they, they come over to us from them, they feel like they don't really get back to them at all or like answer their questions really well. Like we will try to respond to a client within one to two days, but they say like they don't really get a response from them. So we try to, you know, we might be smaller than some of our competitors, but we try to do that more on the personal side where they, they really feel like they're being taken care of. Yeah, it's a serious business too, you know, managing your cap table, you know, managing your company valuations. It's not like uh, trying to figure out an email marketing tool where, you know, <laughs> if you don't figure out a particular feature, you know, you could still get that email out and, you know, it's everything's gravy, but, yeah, it's uh, cap table management is actually very important. Yeah, and I think that like in the world of automation, of course, a lot of the things will be automated, but people still feel they still want a personal touch for some of the things, right? Especially if it's more on a professional level, like for professional consulting services. Yep. So, you know, some of some of the calculation side, but in terms of when you can talk to somebody, if you have any concerns, um, if you want to have this change or this updated, um, you know, you, you feel like you have somebody it's kind of just a step away that you can contact um, and that they'll be able to kind of respond back to you. That's always great to have. Uh, so I guess uh, tell us uh, maybe about a time that you failed and what, what you learned from it. Yeah, so um, it was interesting actually. After I um, kind of studied um, 
kind of accounting again and got out, I went to interview at some like really large um, um, accounting firms. And even actually during my interview, I actually went pretty far, but I ultimately I didn't kind of get to the final round. But my strategy was to kind of show my expertise in accounting because that's why I studied it. That's why, that's why I studied. A lot of the other um, candidates didn't really study that. Um, but actually now that I'm kind of on the other side now, because our company is like probably 20 to 30 staff. And because um, I'm kind of been here, I'm at, at the partner level that I'm interviewing a lot of people coming into to the company. Yep. So I can kind of see now, like the, the place that I failed is I tried to kind of specialize in one thing too much and show that I was really good at that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm interviewing people, I actually prefer people who are more well-rounded <laughs> and that they don't only kind of specialize in one thing. Even if they're really good at it, I would much rather have somebody who's really well-rounded and their personality is really kind of eager to learn. They're really kind of willing to accept kind of if they make mistakes, if they kind of, if they own up to it and they just have like a really nice personality to work with because that's something I can teach. I can teach them skills. I can work with them. They can work with the team. I mean, yeah. that's, I think, you know, and, and, and as a startup as well, you want somebody, because you know, like it changes day to day. Like yeah, you're so flying in with, <laughs> flying, you know, flying at you. And yep. it just, everything is changing. And you, you need to kind of be like a jack of all trades. You need to know a little bit about everything and be willing to do that all because the whole team is just shifting all the time. Yep. So it's like when I interview somebody, if I can see that they're kind of a little bit good at a lot of different things and they're really okay with doing all this stuff and they're really hardworking to me, that's like the perfect candidate. So if I had to do it all again, <laughs> I'd probably be a lot more like kind of well-rounded, but that's kind of just anybody who's, um, you know, who wants to join a startup and they're just kind of, thinking of a strategy of how to go at it it's just definitely like just be really nice you know show that you're really hardworking and that you're you know that you're the kind of you know you're knowledgeable about lots of different things in business or startups or something yeah it comes in really useful for startups um you know like the Pareto principle right so you know maybe you could spend 20 percent amount of the amount of time to understand 80 percent of a task at least mm-hmm. so you could you know really get that broad experience and bring that to the table but uh, like you mentioned, it's the soft skills that really stand out, right? It's that eagerness mm-hmm. to learn, uh, the willingness to adapt, the willingness to put in the hard work because, you know, startups aren't a you know, typical nine to five where you just hang, yeah. hang up at five o'clock PM, you know, you're still, you know, doing, you know, doing late night calls even sometimes and doing whatever you have to do to grow the company, uh, which, which is an exciting time to be involved in a company. So, um, you kind of earn it. Yeah, I mean, like for me, like the staff that I like is like they don't really think about it as work. It's just kind of like a job that, like not a job. I mean, like they think about like I just gotta do this and this and this, and like it doesn't really matter like like the time I'm working. It's just like I have a you know a client or somebody I'm talking to, and I wanted to get it done rather than yeah, rather than like oh okay, it's five o'clock, I need to get off right now because yeah. like and I'm, I'm I'm that's kind of the end of the day. So it's just people who are really devoted to working there, and then you know, as the company grows, obviously they're kind of elevated to a position that they couldn't get in such a large firm. And they don't feel like they're just kind of like a number <laughs> in a company. They're kind of more, you know, like kind of connected with it. That's where maybe those more specialized roles come in to be useful. Just plug you into a, you know, you're the cog in the wheel, so to speak, at a, mm-hmm. a very large company. But uh, startups have their, you know, their trade-offs too, of course, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, I've done startups for many years, you know, I love it. And, you know, you feel like you're not working a day, day in your life if you really like what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting in those extra hours is never really that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. It's like, as long as you enjoy it and you find find people that really enjoy it as well, that you kind of just, you're building something together and that's really beautiful. Cause once you see the results after, you know, like a year or two, or you can kind of look back and be like, oh, wow, that's really amazing that we could really do that. Kind of like 
that amount of time. Yeah, there's a lot of purpose to it. You know, it's uh, you, you know, you could look at something and say, I, I built that, I, I I did it. You know, as opposed to something that's already kind of existed for a while. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, and and for you know, for companies that are all in different kind of stages, yep. you know, it's you know, when you kind of compare yourself to others where they maybe gotten a lot more money and funding or they're at a different kind of stage it's it's interesting but at the same time it's just kind of just like keep keep doing what you're doing if you keep working hard and you keep just keep trying that you know after a certain period of time something i think good will come you know i think it um the startup world really kind of um rewards like really hard work after a long time if you're just really consistent and you can keep doing that for a really long time then something usually will come yeah, and you'll start to uh, figure it out over time. <laughs> so yeah. it gets easier and easier every year. Yeah. Well, um, Colin, I really appreciate you coming on today. I know it's really late over there in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our a uh, lot of our audience, uh, a lot of the audience wanted to hear about valuations too. It's kind of a hot topic this uh, this upcoming year, given interest mm -hmm. rates and the whole fundraising environment as a whole. Uh, so we really appreciate you coming on today and uh, you know giving us more insights there and. Anybody serious about cap table management or 49A valuations and having a great quality service to kind of walk you through the whole process, uh, please check out Acvista. Uh, Colin's company is uh, available today in Nacho Nacho, the B2B SaaS marketplace. I uh, can grab it for 20% uh, lifetime discount right now, actually. Uh, so uh, don't delay. Head over there and get your uh, cap tables in order. Uh, once again, Colin, really appreciate you coming on today, and uh, thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much, Andy. Cool. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs>